So I wanted to um, talk tonight about the most famous teaching on love that the Buddha gave, the Metta Sutta. And we'll also look at the way, in particular, that that teaching relates to the Eightfold Path. And maybe bring in, um, if we have enough time, some phrases from the Mahayana tradition also, which also practices the Brahma-viharas, although they call them the immeasurables. So the, um, this quality of loving-kindness, the, the word uh, metta-sutta, that word metta, is related to the um, Sanskrit word mitra, or mita in Pali, which means friend. And so it has a quality of friendliness to it. Sometimes the translation, maybe the most common one you'll see, is loving-kindness. And some people find that a little burdensome, that word, but if you like it, that's fine. Um, It's also sometimes just love, or sometimes friendliness, or sometimes goodwill. I kind of like goodwill. And it's meant to be kind of a simple quality, actually, just a simple wishing for a being to be happy. And that being could be ourselves, or it could be another being, or it could be kind of all beings in general. And I emphasize the simplicity because there's a way in which our mind complicates things. You may notice this. (laughs) And the thing about metta is that it's really meant to be just a a simple wish uh, for happiness, and it's not uh, has an ex- doesn't have extra addings on like a justification for why that would be a good thing, or a story about why <coughs> this person really needs it, or in the case of um, someone that we're not so sure we want to mis- wish metaphor, it doesn't have you know concerns that is, might not be a good thing for them, or even concerns whether or not it might be possible. You know, one of the wishes as part of metta is, may you have good health, may you be well. And sometimes people say, well, my friend is terminally ill. I can't. How can I wish them good health? It doesn't make sense. So, but my, my response to that would be that metta is not burdened by those kinds of concerns. It's the movement of our own heart toward that wish. And as far as connecting with this feeling, sometimes it's said that this is the feeling that arises um, when we look up on a city street and we see our friend turning the corner in the distance and we see them coming toward us. And there's that feeling, oh, there's my friend. That first feeling before it becomes, oh, I need to remind them about that on Thursday or something. Um, It's that first brightening that we feel. And... All of the Brahma-viharas, all of these, um, the other ones are compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity, along with goodwill. All of them are meant to be felt in the body, I think. That's the way I teach them, is that they are, at least at the level where we connect with them, they tend to be emotional, and emotions are best felt in the body. Um, and these are these qualities have other dimensions besides emotional, but that's the maybe the one that we first connect with. 
So I encourage that if you do metta practice or that you want to explore this feeling, that it, it's whatever other accoutrements you put on it, like phrases or images of the person you're wishing well, um, please also connect with the feeling in the body. And we're going to, actually, we're going to try that later. Sometimes people wonder, this sounds like a prayer. May you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you be well. Is this a prayer, and does it help the other person? You know, if I, if I wish somebody metta fervently enough, will they benefit? And I think I'll leave that one at the maybe, <laughs> and sidestep it to say that there are actually... Um, it's really more about the wishing that you're doing, the development of your own heart through that. And there's kind of two things going on, at least two things, but two of them are, first of all, that we're putting our mind in a wholesome state. You know, metta is a good place to put the mind. Uh, so often we are in a state that is subtly colored by ill will. We might say, well, I don't have that much ill will. I don't actively wish bad on people, usually. Um, But there can be a way in which we're subtly unhappy with the way things are, or subtly wishing for them to be different. (laughs) Sound familiar? That's the definition of dukkha. And so goodwill is actually very much a wisdom quality of being, putting the mind in a wholesome state and being open to what's happening. And so there's just the general wholesomeness that comes from putting our heart in a state of wishing well. And then the second factor is very much related to the wisdom quality, which is that when we attempt to wish well, or generally put out a heart of openness, of goodness, what we'll see is the obstacles to that. It has to be, because as we turn our mind toward what is metta, I want to turn and orient toward that, Inevitably, if there's anything between uh, that's kind of obscuring that, then that will become visible as we turn toward it, right? And so we'll see in our mind all the obstacles to wishing well, or wishing well for particular people, or wishing well for ourselves, whatever the issues are. Um, and we'll see how conditioned the way that we wish for things, you know, the, the, our ability to wish well is. It is conditioned. Um, Ajahn Suchito says that we should try to learn to develop metta not only for kittens on a nice day, but for cockroaches on a bad day. <laughs> so you know, right, when, it's, when we're stressed and we're hungry and we're tired, how easy is it to wish well for somebody else? Not as easy, and so that's an indication of you know, the, the work we have to do still, um, which is all fine. But any time that we're seeing something about our mind, and we're seeing, oh, this is a place where my mind isn't so free, um, that's actually an act of wisdom. And so metta practice is very much related to seeing the way our mind may not be free in this particular dimension of wishing well. So then we get to the teaching on this, which I will... Pass it there, and one of you, Henry, could you grab those for that side?
Okay, good. So this is called, the, as you can see, the Karaniya Metta Sutta. And often we just hear the Metta Sutta, but the actual title is as it is. Karaniya means should be done. So it comes from uh, karoti, the verb to do or to make, in Pali. So this is how metta should be done. <laughs> and it's in the first line, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace, etc. And then you see that I've marked off various sections in um, different numbers, one, two, and three, and two and three are each divided and interleaved. I, I hope that's clear in the way I drew it. Um, so the thing about these teachings, I know you're all reading it, so you're not really listening to what I'm saying, and so we're going to, um, we will actually read it. How about, since there are five different sections, if you take the one and then each of the two twos and threes, how about if we have five people um, each read a section. So who would like to read that first section called number one? <coughs> okay, great. What's your name? Matt. Matt, thanks. Can I go ahead? Yep. Okay. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their own ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Great. And the next one? Great. What's your name? Cody. Cody, thanks. Mm, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all be in deity. Great, thanks. And the next section, yeah, and your name? <coughs> Galen. Galen, thanks. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through any anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Great. And the next? Michael? Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Good. Who will read the last? Henry. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense desires is not born again into this world. Great. Thank you very much. So that's an, it's an interesting text, and I, I don't think we're going to be able to fully analyze it tonight. <laughs> but, and, and that isn't the aim. I wanted to, um, I just wanted to talk through these different sections and why I've marked them. 
There are many ways to approach this sutta. And by the way, this is only one translation. There's a teacher named Lee Brasington who has compiled 18 translations of this sutta, <laughs> all in all of them English, just different versions um, on his website. But this one is one that's often used in our tradition. It was it's used at Amaravati, and which is a monastery in England. And it's totally fine to read the sutta and feel it like poetry or feel the feelings in the body. That's what I was encouraging earlier. But there is actually a structure to the sutta, and that's what I highlighted with these numbers here. And so I wanted to talk through that, just just to add another dimension. If it doesn't work for you and you don't feel like adding something on top helps you, um, that's okay. Then just listen along. And, but it may also you may also find that it uh, creates a little different dimension, and so then that may enrich how you can relate to this teaching on loving-kindness. So these sections, one, two, and three, mark the three trainings that the Buddha offered in sila, samadhi, and panya, which are uh, ethical conduct, mental training or meditation, samadhi, and panya, wisdom. So these are the three ways that we develop our mind or heart along the, the Eightfold Path as we're progressing toward liberation. And so the first section um, is very clearly right about particular actions. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. And then there are a lot of statements that talk about how we are in the world. How should we comport ourselves through this life and how should we relate to others? And it's not, we don't do it because it was ordained by somebody else that this is how it needs to be. It actually says this is what is done by one who knows the path of peace. So somebody who is interested in attaining peace, in bringing peace, in living in a way that's easeful and good in the world, this is what they would do. So it's up to you. It's, it's your choice. If this is how you would like to live, these are some suggestions. Being able and upright. Um, we know what uprightness means. Um, there are people who we know that because they're clear on what it is that they value and how they're living in the world, that they're not going to be easily swayed by an advertisement or by a group of people all doing something. If it's not what they feel right about, they won't do it. Is there a certain uprightness, a feeling of um, straightness to certain people in the, in the positive sense? And then um, straightforward and gentle in speech. So um, their speech is easy to understand. They don't beat around the bush, but they're gentle. They're not super blunt and you know, just saying everything that comes to mind. And then we have humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. There's a quality of evenness and easiness about this way of being. I don't think it's saying that they just go along with whatever's happening and are satisfied with anything um, or think the world is fine and doesn't, you know, they don't take any action. I don't get that impression from the way this is written, but more that they don't they don't come at the world with a sense of need. You know, I need for you to be a certain way. I need for certain things to be in my life. 
there are people who have that approach and they're often kind of miserable, you know, trying to secure that and get that and keep it and defend it. Um, but there are also people who don't seem to have that strong demand on the world. And they're actually much freer and easier and they can accomplish things and do things. I like this phrase, unburdened with duties, because at first we might think in the literal sense, oh, this is somebody who is retired, <laughs> you know, <laughs> although we all, some of us know that retirement doesn't mean you're, <laughs> you get more busy sometimes, right? Um, so I've heard, I'm not retired. But um, I think it could also be more figurative. You have duties, but you're not burdened by them. You know, there's a lot that you have to do, because being a human comes with duties. Um, the duty of inner relationship, the duty of livelihood for some, um, the duty to keep the body going. That's a big one. We have to clean it, we have to feed it, we have to sleep it, <laughs> whatever it is that we have to do, keep it healthy. These are kind of big duties. Um, but we could be unburdened by our way of doing that. Peaceful, calm, wise, skillful, not proud and demanding. I, I generally talked about these. And then there's the little catch at the end. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. So it's not only our own opinion about how all of these things are. Um, there's a little acknowledgement that we might not be completely wise ourselves yet, and so we check in with others who might be wise. It's a pretty reasonable ethical code, don't you think? Um, and I like that it's given as kind of a voluntary thing, you know, the thing that we would choose because we care, because we have love, this is how we would choose to live. And then the section two on samadhi, on meditative development or mental development, comes in these two sections, and they correspond to basically ways that we spread uh, metta more and more broadly. You can see that the intention is in this first one, like, I feel like when I read it, it's almost um, trying very hard not to leave anybody out. <laughs> you know, it's like the weak, the strong, the mighty, medium, short, small, seen, unseen. These, of course, overlap. Um, they're not all mutually exclusive, but I think they're it says, wow, let's make sure we really include everybody. And we wish from a place of gladness and safety, which I kind of like. The safety comes from the ethical conduct. That's our means of safety in the world. And so we wish in gladness and safety that all beings be at ease. So there's a way in which we're told, establish your own sense of inner safety through being ethical. And then uh, have a sense of gladness about that. You know, know that, know that you're doing that. Be upright about it. And from that place, it becomes easier, easier to wish that all beings may be at ease. And so this first section number two is about universalizing to all the different kinds of beings our love. And, and it is a mental training. This is the part where we have to do some mental development because often... As I said earlier, we run into the obstacles, which means we think about the beings that we're not so sure we're really ready to open our heart to. Um, it doesn't mean you have to like them all. That's not the aim. It doesn't mean that you have to 
shower the world with universal bliss um, all the time, 24-7, like um, a shining sun, although that might be nice. Um, <laughs> we, we need a few more people like that. Um, there, is, there are the people that are difficult for us. There are the people who have genuinely harmed us. This is not a justification or a erasure of that, um, a condoning of that. Sometimes it's said uh, there may be people that um, you would never let into your house, but you don't close your heart to them. And so we start to learn the difference between um, holding people accountable for particular actions that they've done, and yet also holding them in our heart as other human beings who are you know, struggling through the difficulty of living a human life. Not that easy, always. And so then we start to have um, some, some, some way to connect with them. And then I'll skip down to the second level, second number two, which is the radiating kindness over the entire world. So this is also a way of universalizing loving kindness or goodwill, but it's done directionally. It's done um, kind of uh, start with the north, well, they don't literally say it in this sutta, but there are teachings where you beam your love in one direction and then spread to the other directions until you've got all four, and then you go above and below and everywhere. And the idea is that all the beings that are within that sphere are then going to be just automatically included, just in case you forgot any in the first section on beings. Um, you'll get them with the beam that, <laughs> that includes everything, because you might have forgotten the microbes, for instance, although they're not considered sentient beings. But um, it's really a beautiful wish that we would be able to do this. And, um, and this last part where it says, freed from hatred and ill will, points toward um, what's called the liberation of mind by loving kindness. So the mind, um, there is said to be a type of liberation that comes when the mind completely opens to universal goodwill, and you feel it as just a releasing of all boundaries. There's no walls in your heart anymore. And this is not um, <coughs> that there may still be ignorance in some sense, and so it's not considered uh, like liberation from suffering, Nibbana, but it's, um, it is a liberation of the heart from hatred and ill will, which, as you can imagine, is pretty good. And so um, this is something that's worth developing in the heart to reduce those boundaries, because when we have walls in our heart, we suffer a little bit for those. It's a little bit of a closure and a um, constriction for us to have that. And so we want to work to eliminate that in our, in our own heart. And then uh, moving on to the wisdom sections, I realize it's a little bit of a whirlwind tour, but eightfold, every time you try to talk about the whole Eightfold Path, it's, uh, it's challenging. <laughs> So just as a review, the ethical steps of the Eightfold Path are wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood. Those were included in that first part. And then the Samadhi steps are wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And those, are, those would be part of this um, second section. Metta can be an object of jhana, actually. You can get to the first three jhanas. Um, and then... Section three, which is the wisdom section, refers to wise view and wise intention. And these have to do, so these are a little bit more, mm, 
when I read them in the sutta here, they sound to me like um, saturating all of daily life practice with the intention of loving kindness. So it says um, there's some stuff about uh, how our mind would be as we interact, so not despising any being in any state. That includes the, you know, the people we walk by on the street, as well as people we read about in the news, as well as beings that we interact with in our life, including difficult family members. Could we really not despise any being in any state? Because at any moment, any being is kind of doing the best they can at that moment. They have different abilities at different moments. Sometimes we have our shining moments. We remember in our life the shining moments we've had where everything came together and we did something just beautifully and we were able to give a gift or say just the right thing. And then there were those moments where we weren't having our shining moment and the do-over moments of our lives. And But if you look back, could we not despise ourselves for any of those? You know, At any moment, that was the best we could come up with. And if we, um, if we think that way, it's really hard to be irritated with other people. At this moment, this is the best this person can come up with. Okay, <laughs> you know, maybe they have other moments that are better. So that, that's kind of how I practice with that one. And then we have this sense of a mother protecting with her life her child, and they're thereby cherishing other living beings. I see this a little bit as a protection of our karma. You know, what if the child is not literal, but is the result of the action of this moment? You know, the child of this moment is the next moment, what was put forth from this moment. And so if we cared about the flow of our life, we would care about how those moments flow. And so we would, we would be kind toward other living beings, because that's the world we're going to live in. That's the world we're creating in the next moment. This is one interpretation of that. And then we get to standing, walking, seated, or lying down. One sustains this recollection. This is intention. The intention of loving kindness at any moment, in any posture. A sublime abiding, that's Brahma-vihara. That's the word, which is what all of these heart states refer to. And then we get interesting stuff, not holding to fixed views. That's a wisdom statement. That's about um, being flexible in our view of the world, at kind of the mundane level, and also not clinging to any way of seeing anything. That has a way of subtly tying us down. And then the pure-hearted one with clarity of vision. So you have the heart right next to clarity of vision. You have love juxtaposed right with wisdom. Being freed from all sense desires is not born again. So people have different interpretations of that last line. I think I'll sidestep it. And, but um, there are ways in which we're not born again into a world that includes hatred. If we can continually bring love to our own mind, what's the world that we're living in then? We're living in a world of openness. Not necessarily one of naivety and, oh, everyone will take advantage of me. So that's, sometimes, that's a little barrier that the mind throws up to this notion of having an open heart. But um, the strength of an open heart is actually very protective. You won't, you won't be taken advantage of in the way that your worried, anxious mind thinks. 
So this is a, a direct pointing toward the freeing power of love, in, at least in the dimension of uprooting the, the root of ill will that we carry in our mind, of fear, of hatred, of pushing away, of othering other people. And the entire path is contained in this amazingly succinct but lifelong practice that's described in these simple lines. Does anyone have any um, questions or comments at this point about this sutta? Um, did this enhance your understanding or your way of relating to it? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, and it's not that you need to sort of think about, oh, am I on the sila or the samadhi or the panya and so forth, but just to understand that the um, idea behind this sutta is to really fully develop um, our heart and our life, and that there's a lot of dimensions to that. You can pick up the one, you know, whichever, if one of them called out to you, great, practice that. Don't try to do all of them. It's not needed. They'll all come eventually. So you can keep this copy, and you might just kind of look it over now and then and see, is there a line that, you know, um, stands out for me? You could practice with a particular line on a certain day or, you know, for a while or contemplate it at the beginning or ending of a sit and then put it aside and do your breath practice or whatever. There's so many ways to practice with these teachings. Almost all of them. Good. <laughs> so whatever whatever is move, moves you to work with this one. And then since, um, since this is meant to be a sort of a visceral experience, I thought I would offer some loving-kindness phrases that are um, used in the Mahayana tradition, just because I think they're a little more interesting than some of the ones we hear. I don't know, more interesting, but just in case you've already heard other ones, <laughs> these might be different. And so, um, let me, there's four of them. I think we can do them. So, I would ask that you just, um, for a moment, feel into your body and just um, kind of prepare yourself to, to just listen openly. The first one is familiar, so it's, um, may I be happy, well, and at peace. Just let that resonate. May I be happy, well, and at peace. Does that bring up feelings? Some people feel open and warm and invited by a phrase like that. Some people feel all the ways in which they're not really living in alignment with a wish like that. You feel a little sad or a little, um, yeah. And then the second phrase is, may I open to all experience. May I open to all of experience. This is an interesting one because there are sometimes areas of experience that part of our heart doesn't really want to open to. So we may get a pang of fear. All of it? Really? I would have to open to all of it? Or there can be a sense of, maybe a sense of our own ignorance. Like we get a feeling like, yeah, you know, there's parts that I think I don't see very well. 
now that you mention it, if I had to open to all of experience, not sure that I really do. And we, so we can see the ignorance of where, ignorance is hard to see, it's the stuff that we actually can't see. Um, but there may also be the sense that any time we're relating to experience with attraction or aversion, we're limiting it a little bit. We're putting a little bit of a shadow across it by adding our sense of wanting it or not wanting it. So there can be a way in which we understand that attraction and aversion don't quite allow us to open to all of experience. And there would be a choice we'd have to make of really being open or wanting and not wanting. I actually heard an interesting um, definition that said, this is a loving-kindness phrase intended as, but I heard a definition of faith that said, faith is the willingness to open to all experience. And I thought, yeah, actually that's pretty good. Because a lack of faith, we would have areas that weren't acceptable, the the no-go zone. It's an interesting take on faith. Faith is not belief, by the way, not at all in Buddhism. I like much better the idea that faith is the willingness to open to all experience. And then the third phrase is really interesting. So it's, um, may I experience the world wishing me happiness and peace. May I experience the world wishing me happiness and peace. We definitely don't have this one in the insight tradition. And for some, it evokes skepticism, like, isn't that a little self-centered? Or, but sometimes it's a feeling of, wow, I never experienced the world that way. You know? Do you ever experience that the world is just genuinely wishing that you would be happy? Or have you never had that feeling? I offered this phrase to someone once, and he said, I think I need to think this way. (laughs) He realized he never thought that way. How often do we make the world into an enemy when it's not really an enemy, necessarily? That's not to say that every moment the world really is wishing us happiness and peace, and it's all blissful, uh, and it's all about us, right? (laughs) Um, Maybe there are people who walk around thinking that the world is always wishing them happiness and peace. But... um, It's interesting, I think this phrase is deliberately meant to challenge our mind a little bit, to stretch the heart a little bit. Do I ever feel that way? And would I want that? There's also a part of the heart that says, ooh, ick, I don't know if I could could stand in that kind of well-wishing. And what part is that? A little wounded part (coughs) that couldn't receive that. Can we receive? And if we're intending that we want to wish love onto the world, How could we do that if we weren't even able to take it in and receive it fully? Could we really bring that into our heart if somebody wished us peace? (coughs) So this is starting to be the way in which mental practice stretches our heart a bit. And then the last phrase is, may I appreciate things just as they are. May I appreciate things just as they are. This is another one we don't 
quite have in our tradition. What you usually hear is, may I accept things just as they are, right? That's a classic mindfulness phrase, may I accept things just as they are. It's actually an equanimity phrase. And this is a loving-kindness phrase, may I appreciate things just as they are. It's an active uh, engagement and a little more intimate, isn't it, to have to appreciate things as they are. And so again, it challenges us because there are the things that we don't really appreciate just as they are. Um, One possibility for working with this phrase is to, to ask what is things when it says to appreciate things just as they are, what we usually think of as a particular thing, and then say, okay, here's a thing that I can appreciate as it is, the the beautiful blue sky. And then it says things, so I'm supposed to appreciate all things that way. The car, the house, the water bottle, um, my roommate. Each of those are things, and I should appreciate each of them as they are. And that, that would be a way to practice. But what about if things is the totality of this right now. It's things. Suzuki Roshi used to say that we should understand things as it is. Which I love that phrase, things as it is. And so things could be just this, how all of this is. And if there's something that we wouldn't appreciate by itself, like there's some suffering happening, there's some um, unwholesomeness happening, or someone is not behaving well, Maybe that evokes in us a feeling of compassion or a feeling of equanimity or a feeling of inquiry, why is this happening, or a feeling of curiosity. And the things are, wow, the totality of that kind of works as a unit. When there's suffering, there's compassion. If there wasn't suffering, there'd be no need for compassion. So we appreciate that all of these things come together in a sense. That's one suggestion. None of the things I've offered as interpretations are, are the, the meaning of the phrases. Like all of these phrases, they're meant to be things that you work with and discover things in, in your own mind and heart. But I hope this gives a sense of a, kind of the depth and potential of meta practice and how it relates very much to seeing our own mind, seeing how they work, seeing how things relate to each other, uh, which is very much what wisdom is about. It's the clarity of seeing how things unfold, seeing how they affect each other. So no grand conclusion because uh, it's just an ongoing process, but I'll stop there and see if anyone has any questions or comments about any of this. I have a question about um, beings. It talks about life. So when I practice uh, that, I tend to focus on human beings Mm -hmm. and different um, and I'm, whenever the suttas refer to beings, I'm never quite sure if they really mean like sentient beings or living beings, or because there's no qualifier in front, or even like you know the pillow as a being. You know, I, it's um, it might be open. <coughs> it's definitely not restricted to human beings. Um, I don't know if Zafus count as beings, but maybe <laughs> you could open your heart to a Zafu. Couldn't you? <laughs> Why not? 
So, yeah, it is, it is meant to be as inclusive as our, our heart is willing to do. Yeah. And then we have to discover for ourselves, oh, what does that really mean for things that are other kinds of beings, or um, beings, that, beings that are intending to hurt me? You know, what about the, I don't know, the salmonella, vi- salmonella bacteria that I've just consumed, and how do I love that while I also take the antibiotics? So, you know, there's this, it's an open field for understanding what that means to us. Does that help, or yeah, wasn't quite what you were aiming at? <clears throat> no, that, that does help. I just, you know, I don't know, sometimes if I'm like, you know, killing a bug in the house or something, I sometimes wonder if, um, you know, I'll think about uh, beings in this in this metasutta and, and sort of not be quite clear on whether that's an ethical act or not, I guess. Um, that's so. a very good feeling to have in the moment, yeah. Yeah, the insects in the house. Very good Buddhist practice. Yeah. <laughs> I think we don't want to be just killing the bug if we don't have to. line is not born again into this world um, to me that kind of implies that maybe this loving kindness practice can be the totality of the path like that somewhat you know I, I can't because that's sort of like a you know phrase that's also used for like arhats and I don't know if um, the implication is that like the entirety of the path could just be meta practice mm. or um, or if maybe that's not what it's implying. There are those who say that it's, it is the totality of the path, and there are those who say it isn't quite. So um, if you wanted to put in technical language, um, he's not born again into this world, is that an arahant or is that a non-returner who will never come back to this world? Mm. The third stage of awakening. I don't even know if that's what's meant in this last line. If you don't know stages of waking, don't worry about it. It's not necessary for this discussion. Um, so I, I suggested it's not born again into a world that includes hatred. Um, you know, when one's heart is open, this world changes. And so we're not born again into this regular world where our heart is struggling so much. So there can be different interpretations of that. I'm also not so sure that we know what the word born means in the Buddhist teachings. It may mean different things at different times. You know, is this referring to literal rebirth? What does jati really mean? Uh, I don't think we know for sure, and it may be used in different ways. But for sure, this um, is a very deep practice, and will go very far along the path. And there's no way to get to the end of this and say, oh, it didn't go all the way. I have to backtrack 40 <laughs> years and start again. Um, practicing metta will always advance the path in some way. All right, very good.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.